as it stands right now, the best thing that you can have is the feds are the feds are operating under what's what's basically as a policy of non-enforcement. They are basically the feds are saying we're not taking any action at this point in time because they don't know what the rules are. So they are recommending and telling people stay in compliance with whatever your state law is. Welcome to Making It to Market, the podcast where we discuss everything about taking your product or service idea through to commercialization. I'm your host, Dahlia Collada. Are you in the hemp and CBD industry or a consumer of these products? In today's episode, we'll get some input from a CBD and hemp attorney who will answer some of your burning questions, such as how are the products that I'm making categorized and regulated according to the FDA? How can the pharmaceutical approved drug Epidiolex affect my CBD business? And does it? Are the products I'm making fit into the dietary supplement category? We'll get all of those questions answered and more. This episode is part of a three-part series. You'll want to check them all out. To learn more about today's guests or find out more about our sponsors, check out the show notes. Guess what? At the end of today's episode, we'll be featuring an incredibly talented young musical artist I found performing at a local farmer's market. Let's get into it. Today's guest is an attorney who has represented businesses for over 20 years in the dietary supplement, CBD and hemp, food and beverage, cosmetics, and health and fitness industries. Jody Shalasi, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Dolly. How are you today? I'm doing well, and I'm really happy that you're on the show. We've been planning this for a while. I'm excited about it myself. So I actually found you on LinkedIn, and um, I think... I think I was doing a search for attorneys, FDA, attorneys, something like that, related to regulation, right, regulatory, and your name came up, and I got really excited because of what you do. Um, you are specializing in all things supplements and topicals, and can you, can you tell me a little bit more about what your specialty is as far as law? Sure. Thank you for, th first of all, thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So my practice is really a specialized practice that focuses on the dietary supplement industry, but is where it started. But I've also do a lot of cosmetic work, uh, work for the CBD hemp industry, um, where there's regulatory issues, you know, advertising, labeling issues, um, GMPs, um, things of that nature. Also con typical contract stuff and um, matters such as that. Well, you know, this is a hot topic right now, all this GMP and regulations, especially in the hemp and cannabis space, because there's so many different rules at the state level and nobody knows what's going on national level. Um, what is your like, what are, you, what are your views on the cannabis space and regulation? Well, I mean, I think it, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate going on in Congress currently. And, and actually, Congress held a, had a hearing last week. Uh, from to take some information from the industry. They've also had the FDA has come forward and said that they don't think the current regulatory system uh, fits uh, hmm. as far as it relates to CB and hemp. They, they think that they're, and part of the holdup there really is, is, you know, when they passed the farm bill in 2018, they left the, how it was going to be regulated up to the FDA. FDA kind of, got sidetracked with COVID and various other things and never really set up the rules. And next thing you know, CBD 
shops are popping up on every corner. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> one of the interesting pieces of it is, and under the rules of under DSHEA, which is the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act of 1994, which set up dietary supplements, there's a specific restriction in there that says any kind of a product that has been already approved through the drug approval process can't be a dietary supplement thereafter. Um, Say that one more so, time. Any So mm -hmm. there's a restriction. There's actually a, a prohibition in the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act that says that if a product has been already approved as a drug, through the drug approval process, mm -hmm. then it can't be a dietary supplement. Okay? Like as an OTC or what, like what, what would be classified? Uh, no, well, either, whether if it's, yes, if it's been approved as a, a prescription pharmaceutical or uh, meets uh. the OTC monographing like that, then it can't, by definition, okay. it can't be a dietary supplement. Right. So okay. with regard to, with regard to CBD and hemp, um, FDA previously approved a product called Epidiolex, which right. is a, which is a product that contains CBD in it for treatment of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And because that product was already approved under the current regulatory scheme, dietary supplements are products that are labeled dietary supplements that contain CBD by virtue of that rule being in place are automatically deemed to be adulterated because they can't be a dietary supplement. So a lot of the oh. industry is trying to come up with a way to try to get the FDA to kind of exchange or Congress and FDA passed it to Congress to get that exclusion changed so that there's no pre prohibition there of those type of products automatically being discounted from the dietary. Okay. So just so I can understand this. Uh, okay. So what you're saying is anything that's digestible, that CBD is, well, we would normally consider it a supplement, but what you're a dietary supplement, but what you're saying is that's considered misbranded. At this uh, point. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's actually considered adulterated. Adulterated. Uh, it's actually it's an actually an adulterated because they, and under the because it's already been approved as a since they approved CBD as a, a in epidiolics before. Mm -hmm. If you were to put CBD in a, something that's labeled oh. as a supplement, oh. it would you'd be the same thing as if I took any other prescription pharmaceutical and put it in something and labeled it as a supplement. Yeah, but it's not the same source. Exactly. That makes that's no sense at all. And, and that's the problem. Uh, they they've they kind of FDA kind of boxed themselves into a corner with that rule, um, and now they're trying to find a way out of it because, as the old saying goes, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Now they're at CBD is everywhere. You can't you can't just act as if it doesn't exist. It's there. I can understand if it's like a proprietary form formula with CBD and maybe some other components. But again, it goes back to like natural medicine. You can't you can't patent a natural medicine. You can't patent something that you can anybody can go find in nature. I can't go patent marigold. Like that makes no sense. Like well, I, don't, sure. I don't get that. I, look, I, look I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. An, I think ultimately what you will see is that CBD and hemp, there will be there will be a, an exclusion approved mm -hmm. either one of two ways. Either they'll they'll just remove the easiest way is just to remove that restriction from the from the from the DSHEA, mm -hmm. Dietary Supplement Health Education. That's the easiest way to fix it. The alternative way that FDA is pushing for is actually creating a third category of products with their own special rules okay. which would fall in the which would be strictly reserved for um these types of products such as cbd where there's been a prior approval of a drug okay. um that that one is going to take a little more work um rather than just removing the the exclusion uh congress is you know congress is, like i said they held a hearing last week interestingly enough fda 
even though they're the ones that are pushing for this, did not appear or testify at the <laughs> hearing last week. Of course not. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> well, and, not and quite honest, yeah, not a, not surprising at all. And quite honestly, you know, I would be surprised. Uh, I would be surprised if anything actually gets done this year. Um, that's that's probably going to be an election year type issue. Mm. Um, so mm. we're probably we're probably two years away from really anything actually getting done, which means it just stays wild wild west until the until something is actually right. done. Right. What about at the state level though? Can can something be put in place at state uh, levels? Sure. And in fact, a lot of states have implemented their own rules. Uh, there's I don't know if you know much about there's a um, there's a product called Delta Eight, mm -hmm. which is which is um, you know a lot of states have actually instituted state level law that have declared Delta Eight products to be illegal. Um, in fact, um, it's becoming quite prominent that that's that's occurring. Even though that and and the states have the ability to do that, and and in fact, currently I think that's kind of what the feds have always have done is kind of said let the states handle it. Now the problem with that is is we've got however many different versions of rules that are out there. And obviously the products are traveling across state lines. Mm -hmm. So it should be in the, in the, in the category of the feds, <laughs> but they just haven't touched it. It's, it's a, it's a mess right now. Okay. Going back to uh, the, the tinctures like CBD tinctures, for example, if somebody's creating those and they consider that dietary supplement, is there, what would you recommend they do as far as packaging? Well, 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 sure. Well, first of all, if it's a tincture, it can't be a dietary supplement. Okay, why is that? Not, because it's not ingested. Uh, if if you, it, it, dietary supplements are required by law to be an ingested, so therefore, if it's a if it's a tincture, if it's a uh, uh, something you put under your tongue, yeah, none of those none of those are cons considered dietary supplements because you're not swallowing it, putting it in your that's stomach. Correct. That, that's correct. It's not going through your intestinal process. It's that's going correct. sublingual to the bloodstream or whatever. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So therefore, oh. under the definition of a supplement, those are automatically taken out of that category. Oh, interesting. Uh, I didn't know yeah. that. So yeah. what, what category is tinctures then? Uh, well, that's, that's a good question. It's, it's kind of in a, it's kind of in its own little world, whether if, you know, if depending on the nature of it, it very well may fall in depending on what's, what's the, what's actually inside the product. I mean, it could fall in the, in the, in the category of a, of a, of a, of a OTC, uh, a drug product. That's if, but wouldn't that depend if they're making a claim? What if uh, they don't make a claim? Well, well, certainly, certainly, if you're making a claim, you can get to those questions. If you're not making any kind of a claim, and it's just let's just say I just got a bottle, and it just says hemp on it, mm -hmm. just for a second, and, and it doesn't say anything else on it, but it's it's used in the form of a tincture. Mm -hmm. Right now, that type of product really has no home. And just to be wow. honest, with you, it really it really is kind that. of it it doesn't it doesn't fit in any category, huh. which is part of what FDA is arguing is concerned is, is is they they have products like that that are on the market that should have a place to be to rest for regulating, but right now it just doesn't. There's just so no there's no category that it fits in. So do you think that when the FDA does decide to make rules around tinctures because they're sublingual and not digestible? Do you think that they're going to put regulations as far as percent of alcohol content? Do you think that that's going to be a thing or process of extraction or? Well, absolutely. It's going to have to be part of the regulation because part of the issue, one of the other issues that they're facing is, is, is the consistency product, uh, consistency of the products. Mm. You know, right now, 
your guess is as good as mine, what you actually get if you go into a CBD store and and buy a product. There's no regulation of exactly what the consistency is, the purity of it, you know, anything like that. So there's going to have to be some regulation put in place saying these are the standards that have to be met. So I'd imagine alcohol content or anything, any other kind of content like that would have to be as part of that scheme. That's interesting. I'm glad we're talking about this because this is an important issue. And I think everyone's really confused, even at the manufacturer level and at the hemp farming level. It's you, you have to be really on top of all the current events and the news and what's happening everywhere to, to know how to navigate this. What advice do you have for somebody who's in the cannabis space who's got tinctures and supplements and the edibles and all this other stuff? As far as regulation, what should they be paying attention to? Well, well, the first thing I tell clients is is... is as it stands right now, the best thing that you can have is the feds are the feds are operating under what's what's basically as a policy of non-enforcement. They are basically the feds are saying we're not taking any action at this point in time because they don't know what the rules are. So they are recommending and telling people stay in compliance with whatever your state law is. Mm. If you stay in compliance with your state law, for the most parts, the feds are going to kind of stay out of it. Now, that's obviously I preface that by saying, you know, if I if I'm putting something, if I'm actually, you know, have a product labeled to CBD and it's actually above the 0.3 for THC, then that's going to be a problem for other reasons. OK, or if I have labeling claims on there to say this stuff's going to cure cancer, that's going to be problems for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you stay in compliance with your state law, you should have um, uh, you should be OK. Now, the trick part on that is, is okay, well, that's great. Let's say I'm in Alabama and I'm making my product, but I know full well that my product is crossing state lines when it's being sold or, 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 or processed or whatever it is. That's where we have the issues because they're clearly that would cross state lines that falls in the level of the FDA's purview and we don't know what they're going to do. So the best advice I give clients is is right now is 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 you, you are operating in a in kind of a, a a a wild wild west no man's land world you are um I think for the most part and it's like most things you know the further and further you get toward moving toward that line where we know it's illegal mm-hmm. you're more likely you're gonna put somebody put yourself on the radar right now there's it's just the best way to do it is, is you almost have to kind of fly under the radar in a little bit, you know, and try to do things where you stay in compliance to your state law, try your best as to do, get legal counsel as it relates to things on the, on moving across state lines. And, and really that's about all you got right now. There's mm-hmm. just, there's just, there's no, there's no guarantees. And I tell clients that all the time with this stuff, it's just because of the position, the way law is right now, it's so uncertain I can't give you any kind of guarantees as to what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, or whatever. Uh, I just can't. And that that's what clients really have to make their own business judgment decision as to, you know, whether they want to take on that risk. I'm with Joseph, a.k.a. Jody Shalacy of Shalacy and Tortorisi Law. Stick around till after the break. You don't want to miss the discussion about how to do litigation if you are a hemp company and also what is the future of cannabis regulation. We'll be right back. 
This episode is sponsored by Salve Naturals, the leader in cruelty-free, plant-based, and natural topical medicines with ingredients sourced from American farmers. These natural products are freshly handmade in the USA, Houston, Texas, to be precise. Please visit salvenaturals.com or check out Salve and the healthy living departments at HEB stores across Texas. We're looking for inspiring expert guests and original musical artists. Think you have what it takes to be a part of the show? Please visit makingittomarket.com and apply. Making It to Market is a listener and sponsor supported show. Want to support the show? Check us out on Patreon or learn more about sponsorship opportunities on our website. Are you looking for high quality, professional grade nutritional supplements that you can only get with the help of an integrative health practitioner? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually a degreed health science and integrative medicine practitioner, and I'm able to extend my 15% off practitioner discount to you on over 350 professional grade brands. Plus, they gave you free shipping on $49 or more. Please visit wellevate.me slash Dahlia hyphen colada. I know you do quite a quite a bit of service offerings in your practice, but as far as the cannabis space, what do people come to you for at this point? Uh, well, you know, so again, I'm at my main office is in Alabama. I have a satellite office in California. Uh, you know, California is, is, is rec and, and, and medicinal. Alabama is, has approved medicinal but it hasn't actually hit the, they actually haven't, uh, they just approved the licenses right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are, those are kind of in place. I have clients from other parts of the country that call us, mm-hmm. you know, again, based on, depending on their state law, I may or may or not be able to help them as it relates to some of the legalized cannabis stuff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, whether it's, cause again, that's going to absolutely depend on the state law, whether or not it's been approved as a medicinal or recreational purposes. Um, you know, so, but as far as we have people in, you know, from the CBD hemp side, um, we do have growers in the state of Alabama. There are folks that are growing it. There are folks that are, that are, um, you know, that are in the processing side of it, um, transportation. Those are all things that are, um, are, are part of the industry beyond just the actual product. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and under the under the medicinal law that they passed in Alabama, there's going to be a separate license. There's separate licenses for each one of those categories. Okay. Um, and so we've been we've we've worked with clients to help them uh, put in their application. They apply for those licenses, um, as well as you know, as if 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 they are going to make them uh, whatever processes and things they have to put in place in order to qualify mm-hmm. to apply for those licenses. So those are things we're doing for those. It's interesting. So do you have the ability to support people in multiple states or are you state specific based off of your license? Uh, so that's a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. As it relates to things that are based in federal law, um, I have the ability to represent clients nationwide because it's, it's, a, it's a federal law question, which applies equally. If it's something along the lines that's particular to a particular state, I still the client still has the ability to to get my advice and I'm still have the ability to advise them as to whatever those rules are as it relates to their particular states. Now that's up to the client to decide whether or not they want to take that advice. They very well may feel it's best for them to go that's get That's if they take your advice. Yeah, I mean that's up to them. Where it becomes a a potential issue is mm-hmm. is let's say I'm representing a client in a that's a, and this happens quite frequently actually. Uh, I'm representing one of my my clients and let's say for example they're in New Jersey. Um, I, I can handle whatever they need to do, but let's say they get sued. 
uh, and they get sued in, you know, in, in California or, or whatever state. In order for me to practice in that lawsuit, I would have to have a local counsel there in that jurisdiction uh, essentially vouch for me. They call it pro hoc VC, which basically is a that, that attorney will say, hey, this per, this attorney is, from, is licensed to practice in another state. I'm going to vouch for him that he's able to, and the court will approve my ability to practice in that state, even though I'm not licensed in that particular jurisdiction. That's interesting. Is that is that common across all law practices? Oh, yes. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Good it's very common, and, and and quite often it's it's um it, it's a necessary pro, it's a necessary part of the process. Specifically, you know, like a lot of my clients, um, I've worked with them so long and I've done so much with them that they want me there, right? Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> trust regardless you. of what it, whatever the situation may be, wherever it is, they want me to be there. So we'll go through that process of making sure that I've I've gotten that that we've gotten that local counsel to kind of. Um, to do that for us, and you know, and then and then that local council's uh, involvement or whatever will 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 you know will be kind of depending on the situation, how much work they do, and what how much how much actual hands on involvement they are beyond you know just being the the person on the ground. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you do you tend to collaborate with other attorneys and other like cross functional ways, or do you just uh, stay with your own? With your own team, uh, it does. I mean, it happens. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there's there's certain things that um, I'm better at than others. There's some things. There's certain things I've, I look to other attorneys that are much more that are more qualified in. You know, for example, I'll give you. You know, a lot of the, not that I ever want my clients to get involved with the, on, on on the criminal in the criminal world. You know, but it happens. Mm. Let's say for, you know for if, let's say just as an example, uh, if I had a client that that was making a supplement product and. They were uh, um, uh, the the federal government or whatever accused them of of, of adulterating their product with something that's illegal. Hmm. Um, that would potentially trigger criminal uh, charges. Uh, I would typically have have one of my colleagues that's more versed in the criminal wow. uh, defense work with me uh, on that client in order to get that, that to help them in that particular. Proceeding. So you do the litigation as well, huh? I do. I do. Wow. Yeah. That's gotta be hard. I can't imagine. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> That's I a do. lot of pressure. I... More than oh, yeah, the, more than is. this podcast is more than. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, God. it is. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so on a consumer side, still on the subject of CBD cannabis stuff, hemp. Um, how do consumers know how to trust a brand? Is, are there key things to be looking for or asking a brand to see a legit, especially if there's not a lot of regulation or definition on how these companies should be following, you know, compliance of anything? What, how should I, what should I do in order to know a brand is reliable or I can trust it? Even a teacher. Well, well I wish there was a better answer I could give you, but there, there's really not a, it, it's not really a way to really fully trust it. It really right. isn't. Um, you know, you'll see oftentimes that there's, there's some USDA has some stamp certifications and things that, 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 that certain, uh, labels can, can get certified from. And it's supposed to be under certain rules that give you some standards that they're supposed to meet. But again, that's kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, it's more marketing than it is actual somebody actually getting into the product and looking and determining whether or not it's the product is what it says it is, um, you know, because there's really no firm commitment from the, from the federal government to regulate these types of products. It's just, in a lot of ways, it's, you're, you're, you're kind of, tr you're at their, at that person's mercy in terms of who you, where you buy the product from. Now, obviously I will tell you, um, you know, if, if, if I go on, <laughs> 
if I go on Amazon and find Joe's CBDs, I'm probably going to be worried. I'm probably going to throw a red flag up as opposed to, you know, Why? if I went into, just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You know, as opposed to if I went into a brick and water type mm. store that that's got a, got some sort of a reputation, a GNC or whatever, something along those lines that has, a, that that's, I'd probably have a little more comfort level, but still, even then, yeah. in that instance, we still don't know exactly what's yeah, there. Yeah. Sometimes people send me like labels or they send me the front of a bottle and say, well, tell me, what do you think of this? Like, I'm a formulator, so I don't care about the front of the bottle. All I care about are ingredients. But there's still, you know, show me the ingredients. But it's still really hard to determine, okay, the ingredients are good, but how do I know that those ingredients really are in there and at the ratio? Yep. Do you know how many times, like, it happens so often where people come to me with a CBD product, topical, and I can look at the ingredient deck on the back and say, this is in the wrong order. There's no way that these two ingredients are in there. I can tell just by looking yep. at the ingredients. So I, I'm, I'm an educated consumer because I know what to look for. But man, it's it's really hard. But sometimes I'll tell people, and I don't even know if this is legitimate either. I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this. But having a QR code on the back of the bottle that leads me to this, the certificate of analysis on the yes. potency. Yeah. Sometimes that is like a good sign for me. I'm not, you know, at least I know that there's something. I don't know if that C of A is correct for that product. Who knows? I don't know if that C of A was created in-house and it's biased or if that report's even correct. There's no like standard on how to evaluate a potency test to determine if that product is correct anyway or if you, it's you, complete. Yeah. Yeah, you are absolutely 100% correct. Uh, you know, uh, we'll, manufacturers and distributors and things like that will we'll rely heavily on on the COA, COAs of the products and say this this shows that I've got something legitimate, but that COA is only as good as the, <laughs> the legitimacy of the person that provided it in the first place. Uh, and since we yeah. don't really have any way of knowing where it came from or what it what it really is, uh, the the veracity of it we just don't know yeah I, I don't put a whole lot of faith in yeah. those either and then uh, people when they send me those products I'm like I don't trust this brand I just don't yeah. you, you can't convince me now you've already annoyed me by putting ingredients in the wrong order and not giving me an accurate COA I can tell I'm, we're yeah. not stupid the more educated we all become the more these things kind of stand out to us and you just eventually just don't know who to trust I mean there's people that i I know personally because they're my customers and I'm loyal to their brands and I know what they're doing on the back end, but not everybody has that experience to know who to trust. You go into a local, you know, camp dispensary locally and you don't know what you're looking at or where it comes from or what. So I don't That's know. Right. I just think it's, I, I appreciate cannabis and I think it's an, a, a medicine that we all should look into, but the source and the processing and the, application and use and dosaging have always been a concern for me. And I do wish FDA would kind of figure out how to, to navigate these waters so we can get a safe product, but also accessible, you know, I will, my gut feeling is, and I, and I felt this way for a while. I think, um, it's coming legalization. I think is, is probably down is coming sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the federal, the federal government will have to, it's you, you, you do it. You, you look at it from the standpoint of, uh, there's so much, uh, you're creating an entirely new industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is an entirely new industry, not just from the standpoint of, of actual sell the product. There's so many, offshoots of the cell the product that's going that would that are developing you look in those markets that have had 
legalization um, from a rec standpoint. It's it's not just the the store selling the product. It's the processors. It's the growers. Exactly. It's the it's the, 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 the retail outlets. It's the transportation. Transportation. It's, yeah. it's the insurance. It's there's so many things that go into that that it, you are literally creating an entirely new unexplored industry. And yeah. I think at some point in time, especially the way it's going, and there's just so many of these things popping up, there's really no, at some point in time, you're, the feds are going to have to step in. And when they do, I think it, I think we probably find ourselves in a spot where there are certainly uh, regular uh, uh, regulations put in place. And, and overall, it's removed from the schedule and it's complete. And I tend to believe, you know, it's interesting, you know, when, when they passed the farm bill back in 18, um, I honestly think that's kind of where it was heading then. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID just kind of really set the, pushed the train off the tracks. Um, and, and all of a sudden FDA's entire resources and energy were directed elsewhere. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think it kind of changed the timetable on what was going on, what was, what was heading in a, in a pretty, and I believe if you read the, the farm bill, the way it was left open like that, I think Congress was expecting FDA to come in and say, here's where, here's the way we're going to handle it. And, and they just never materialized. Well, because FDA is so prioritized with so many other things that, and they're low staffed. So like, how, well, that's the main thing is yeah. FDA is it's a, it's a, it's a selective enforcement agency because it is limited resources. <laughs> so there are, there, it, they, they don't have the resources. Yeah. They don't have the, the manpower uh, to do everything. And, and, and it, so you've got to, they got to pick their, pick their, pick their places. They attack um, right now. If you like, for example, on, on, CBD products right now, even though FDA has taken the position that, you know, dietary supplements containing CBD are not legal, they've taken that position. As far as enforcement, there's not a whole lot of enforcement going on. You won't see a lot of them, FDA really, you know, instituting uh, actions to go to go seize that stuff. They won't. Uh, they may see warning letters and certain warning letters come up. And typically the warning letters are, are focused on, you know, you've made the claim that this stuff's going to cure cancer, that type of stuff. Right. Uh, or they have, but ha- having said that recently within the last five to six months, FDA has actually taken a couple of enforcement, a little bit more strenuous p- position toward products that have, uh, you know, just because it's got that as a CBD as an ingredient in it, they're, they they have taken some actions recently to do that, but still it's, it's, it's very limited. Uh, it's not something that I think is consistent. Um, and I don't think, and I don't think that's going to change in the near future because, because of, again, limited resources, election year, mm-hmm. those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then FDA, well, I guess we spent 2020 and to 2022 dealing with the whole COVID thing that, and then you, you had investigators that couldn't work during that time. They couldn't travel. And so like the focus while it was, previously on OTCs and pharmaceuticals and maybe cracking down on people who are misbranding, um, making claims that they're not supposed to. Then they introduced, the FDA has been focusing its time and effort on the modernization of cosmetic regulation. So it's like the new act for topicals and skincare products. And so I can see now like this becoming the priority of, of FDA effort, especially because those products affect a greater population than does cannabis and hemp. So I can see why they're putting their focus on that. But man, that's a huge undertaking that they're taking on with that as well. I don't see this hemp cannabis thing taking an effect or any regulation coming up probably for the next five years. That's my guess. You know, like I said, I think after post-election, I think there's probably going there, there's a push in Congress right now. Like I said, there, 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 there is an active push because FDA reported to the, 
Congress back in January uh, that they need help. They've told the FDA, we need help with this. They told the Congress, we need help with this. We don't feel like we haven't have the regulatory tools to do what mm -hmm. we need to do. Mm -hmm. You raised a great point though. And I want to come back to though, is, is the question about the agents in the field. You know, the agents in the field right now are really got their hands tied mm -hmm. because they're not getting the directives or the guidance from above to tell them what they can or cannot do. And therefore the agents are going out in the field and you're getting a lot of bad information coming from the agents as well as the industry, because no one really knows what the rules are. Uh, and so agents will try to, they're limited in what they can enforce because they don't feel like they've got enough backing or support or, or, or law to support them on a lot of things. And then if you do have an agent that really wants to get aggressive and come after them, well, that's not going to work either because since there isn't really any guidance right. out there, the industry is going to push back really, really hard. Um, and yeah. I think that's really where the, 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 the next step that's got to occur soon is, is again, from the Fed standpoint, is the FDA needs to have some sort of Fed, federal, yeah. the federal government's got to have some way to, to give these folks in the field some guidance as to here's what you, here's what the law says, here's what you can or cannot do. And these are the, the, the topics that we need to push. You know, what gets me is the FDA does solicit feedback from industry, industry, so, like, when it comes to the MOCRA, the Modernization of Cosmetic Regulation Act, before they finalize it or institute the regulation definitions, they go reach out to the public uh, industry people, such as formulators and manufacturers and so forth, to get their input. I'm, I'm really baffled on the whole hemp cannabis space. Like, why are we leaving it up to the FDA to figure this out? Why doesn't the cannabis population leaders, thought leaders, people that are coming, why don't they come together and create the definition and propose this to the FDA say, Hey, this is what we think should work. Is there something well, like that? Yeah, well, they are. I'm not saying they're not, un they're, they're not completely unorganized. The industry is kind of working together. It's just, you've got to, again, start, starting point is what we talked about a few minutes ago is, is there's this regulation in the dietary supplement law that says that if it's a prescription, something's been approved as a prescription pharmaceutical, it can't be a supplement. Well, as long as that regulation is in play, there's really no workaround. Mm. That's got to be changed first before we can come up with it. I think the I think the industry has the ability to to and I think they're trying to uh, to tell co the government, you know, here's what we think That's the good. standard should be, and yeah. here's what the can, here's what we think we can what will be the the proper approach and the proper mountain yeah. ingredients wise, all that stuff. But as long and long as the FDA has that provision in place. Mm it's kind of you're 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 barking at the wall there's really no way around it until you get that wall removed i see yeah but it would be kind of nice to have industry provide guidance to them to the fda as things start you know going forward well as far i think as that was what the, the purpose of the hearing they had last week was okay. to hear from industry saying here's the things we think are important um you I, i'll reserve my judgments <laughs> on what congress does or doesn't do but that's what I think the point of it was. We'll have a whole episode just on our feelings about Congress. <laughs> and then another one that's probably over an hour about our feelings about FDA. But that's, that's right. <laughs> to learn more about Jody Shalasi, check him out on his website, themillennialawyer.com, or visit him on LinkedIn or Twitter at Shalasi and Tort. If you liked today's discussion with Jody, don't forget to come back and listen to the next two episodes where we talk about private label and labeling guidelines.
always, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe to Making It to Market wherever you listen to podcasts or listen from our website, makingittomarket.com. Thank you for your honest five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. And a special thanks to our show sponsors and listeners. Without your support, I would not be able to do this. If there's a topic you'd like to hear, have a question or even a comment you'd like for me or today's guest to address, feel free to leave me a voice message on our podcast phone line. If we air your question or comment in an upcoming episode, we'll send you a free Making It to Market t-shirt or mug. Details are in the show notes. Oh my gosh, before you leave, you have to check out this local musical artist. She is incredibly talented, a singer and songwriter from Sugarland, Texas. This is faithfully singing in my head. I'm obsessed. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, make decisions that make a difference. Even when I make everything seem so good, I can't help it. If someone looked in the mirror, so light as does it get better? Struggles that you're going through, I know what you are going through.